are in Mark 2 this morning, the Gospel of Mark chapter 2. Uh, you don't have your pew Bible, but hopefully you brought your own Bible. We have um, removed the pew Bibles uh, from the pews. Um, another announcement we could make perhaps is that Pastor Mike is away. Uh, he and family are gone for a couple of weeks, and um, so I know they would appreciate uh, our prayers as they are away. We welcome everyone who is here and we welcome everyone also who is joining us online. We're going to listen to the teaching of the Lord Jesus as it's found in Mark 2 and 3 this morning. Let me begin by uh, reminding us all of the context and what Mark is doing in his gospel. In Mark 1, he began by briefly explaining Uh, explaining the ministry of John the Baptist, his imprisonment, and then really Mark 1 is about uh, sort of an overview of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Jesus went from village to village to village. And he was saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. He was preaching and calling people Uh, to repentance and trust in him. And he went from village to village with that message and he healed as people came to him in their need. Uh, Now chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, 6 into chapter 3 is a new section in which Mark is sketching for us in five different episodes conflict that developed between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. The first episode is verses 1 to 12 in chapter 2 where the question is raised only God can forgive sin. What did he say? Only God can forgive sin. Jesus said your sins are forgiven. The next episode is in 2.12 to 17 where Jesus calls Levi and then eats and drinks and, and celebrates with Levi and his friends. Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? This conflict again. And then the third conflict is over uh, why are his disciples not fasting? Our disciples fast. The disciples of John fast. Why are his disciples not fasting? And now we're going to come into episode four and five of the conflict. A fifth, a four and five episodes our fourth and fifth episodes of Jesus and conflict with um, the Jewish leaders. And both of these episodes are having to do with the Sabbath. So let's read, beginning at Mark 2.23, and we'll read these passages, these paragraphs. 2.23, one Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. 
and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now 3.1 begins another account. Another time is sort of the connecting temporal phrase. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So the fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Why did God give this Sabbath command? Well, first of all, for rest. Man cannot work all the time. It's good to rest. And so that's the first purpose. A second purpose is worship. If six days a week we're occupied with creation, with the affairs of this world, the seventh day we are to be occupied with our creator and to look up and to worship and to honor the one who has given us all that we enjoy. The third purpose is just celebrate. God gave us a, a holy day, one day in seven, so that we could... Um, Celebrate. It's just like our God to give us a day of celebration. So uh, rest, worship, celebration. That's God's purpose in giving the Sabbath. By Jesus' time, Judaism was known for keeping the Sabbath. It was unique. No one else did this, but the Jews did it and did it very, very carefully. Um, in their zeal for their law and their desire for definition, they developed a whole series of um, descriptions of what they could do and what they could not, not do. In the Mishnah, there are 39 categories of work and they carefully defined what they could do and what they couldn't. Let me give you an or a couple of examples. How far can you walk on the Sabbath day before it becomes work? 2,000 cubits. That's about half a mile. If you walk further than that, it's, um, you're working, and it's a violation of the Sabbath. There is one reference, by the way, to a Sabbath day's walk in Acts 1. Uh, another example. Can you pick up your child on the Sabbath day? Yes, you may. But if the child has a stone in its hand, then it's work. So that would be a violation of the Sabbath. Uh, 
Or another example, can you tie a knot on the Sabbath day? Well, as long as the knot can be untied with one hand, then it is not a violation. But if it needs two hands to be untied, then it's work and it is forbidden, etc., etc. So conflict with Jesus was inevitable. Jesus obeyed the law of God. He came as the fulfillment of the law of God, but he certainly did not observe all of these man-made rules and regulations which had been created. Well, in the first controversy, we have Jesus walking through the grain fields with uh, his disciples, and they're eating heads of grain as they go. This was explicitly permitted in the law. In the law back in Deuteronomy 23, you can read the law. It says if you walk through the grain fields of your neighbor, you may eat what you find, but you cannot take a sickle to your neighbor's grain. In other words, you can't harvest it, but you can meet your need. Well, the religion police, the Pharisees said, they're doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And... uh, Jesus responds by saying, uh, human need supersedes your rules. Or the way Jesus put it is in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. By the way, verse 27 is unique to Mark's gospel. There is not a lot of material that is unique to Mark's gospel, but that statement is only found in Mark's gospel, verse 27. Man uh, was not created in order to observe the Sabbath, but rather the Sabbath was created and given as a gift to man. And he uses the example of David fleeing from Saul. Um, He ate the consecrated tabernacle bread. Human need is more important than all of your stipulations and your regulations and your rules. And then he says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Verse 28. Verse 28 is an astonishing statement. Those words spoken to Jewish people, the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. God gave the Sabbath. God gave it as a gift uh, to Adam and Eve in the beginning. Remember that God worked for six days and on the seventh day he stopped. God did not stop because he was tired. He stopped because he was finished. It is finished. God could look at creation and celebrate what he had what he had created. And uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Jesus fulfills and supersedes the Sabbath. Jesus is the Sabbath that has come from God. Let me put it this way. Jesus lived the life we should live and he died the death that we should have died. And he said, it is finished as he died. And Jesus then brings to us ultimate rest for our souls. It is he who is the Sabbath, who brings rest to us. Um, 
You remember that phrase that appears in the epistle of Hebrews, we who have believed have entered into that rest. We've entered into that rest by believing and trusting in Christ. He brings rest, ultimate rest, for our souls. Do you remember the movie um, Chariots of Fire? Chariots of Fire is the, the story of two runners who were entered into the 1924 Olympics, both of them representing the UK. Um, uh, Eric Liddell, Scottish runner Eric Liddell, refused to run on the Lord's Day. Instead, he was in church worshiping God on the Lord's Day. Uh, the other man was Harold Abrahams, who was a man who was very intense, um, restless. He had, to, he had to accomplish this. As a matter of fact, at one place in the film, you may remember, he says, um, I have... I've got just 10 seconds to justify my existence. The difference was that Liddell had found his rest in Christ. You may remember that scene where Eric Liddell was talking to his sister and he says to his sister, God made me fast and when I run, I feel his pleasure. But Liddell didn't have to win the race in order to prove himself or to justify his existence because he had found his rest in Jesus. Well, there's a second controversy listed here and that is healing on the Sabbath. Jesus is being carefully watched. He's in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And notice the, it's described in verse uh, 2. Uh, of chapter 3, it says they were watching him closely. The verb there is emphatic. They were watching his every move to see there's, so there's, a, there's a man that needs healing here. There's a man with a withered hand, a paralyzed hand or arm. Uh, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was paralyzed. It was not useful. He could not use his, his hand. And maybe he was in the synagogue every Sunday, I don't know, or every, pardon me, every Sabbath. Uh, anyway, uh, Jesus brought the conflict out into the open. He had the man stand up in front of everyone. So imagine this scene. Here are the, gather, the, the gathered worshipers, and Jesus has this man stand up in front of them all. And he, he asks them a question. He says, what is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And there is the, withered, the, the man with the withered hand in front of them. Maybe Jesus had him stand in front of them in order to elicit compassion, elicit pity, concern for this man. But if this man has a withered hand, they have withered hearts. Because they say nothing. They can't say good, because if they say good, that will justify healing. They can't say evil, because it's never right to do evil, whether on the Sabbath day or any other day. And so they remain silent. And one can wonder how long Jesus waited for an answer with the man standing in front of them. Finally, it says in anger and and um, 
distress because of their stubbornness, Jesus healed the man in front of them all, verse 5. And then notice what it says. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Notice, please, that 3.6 is the conclusion of this section on conflict between Jesus and the leaders. Began at 2.1. Now we've reached that, the end of this section. And this is the conclusion. Let's get him. We're going to kill him. Conflict developing between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. Now the irony of 3.6 is very keen. First of all, they should have gone out of the synagogue and said, did you see what he did? That man was paralyzed and at his word, he was healed. He, he has power from God. They should, have, they should have responded with faith in Jesus to listen to his teaching and, and to follow him. But that was not their reaction. Instead, they went out and plotted to kill. The irony here is keen because they condemn Jesus for healing while they themselves plan uh, to kill on the Sabbath day. They, they think he is wrong when, of course, it is they who are wrong. So we see religious traditionalists reject Jesus with their rules, with their regulations. They're sure they are right and Jesus is wrong. You know, religion, religion is basically telling us what we must do to merit God's favor. And for these leaders, these Pharisees, it is meticulous obedience to the law. But notice there's another group mentioned in 3.6. It is the Herodians. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now, the Herodians are kind of the opposite of the Pharisees. The Herodians are supporters of Herod, and Herod works for Rome. So they are, they are sort of the opposite. I mean, the, the Pharisees are very traditional, very rigid. These people are, hey, you've got to go along to get along. They're very progressive and open-minded. Herod is our ruler. We'll support Herod. We'll just go along with whatever may come. So they're very progressive, very open-minded, opposite of the, the uh, Pharisees. They, they correspond to sort of a... If, if the Pharisees today correspond to a religious traditionalism, uh, the Herodians correspond to a uh, laissez-faire approach, progressive approach to self-discovery. I decide for myself what is right and wrong, the exact opposite. But both ways are means of self-salvation and both reject Jesus. The Pharisees and the Herodians went out and discussed how they might get rid of him. Now, let's back up and think of what we've read so far from the perspective of Mark. Mark, the author of the gospel. What is he teaching us to this point? Think about what he's recorded. Jesus spoke to a man who was a leper and said, I am willing, be clean. And the leper was cleansed. Only God can heal a leper. 
Jesus said to a man lowered through the roof, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then he demonstrated that we might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said, get up, take your mat and go home. And he did. Furthermore, Mark is telling us that Jesus called Matthew to himself and then he ate, with, ate and drank with Matthew and his friends. Mark is telling us that Jesus came for the needy. He came for sinners. He came for the broken. That's why he came. Mark is telling us that Jesus and his kingdom can't be confined to the, the rigid traditionalism of Judaism. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. Your rigidity, your laws, your rules. The kingdom of God is new. And it is God breaking into this world, bringing salvation. And Judaism cannot confine it. And Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, he says. He records Jesus' words in 2.28. And so we can see why Je Mark began his book by saying, and this is 1.1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's who he is. He is the Son of God come to save us sinners. He recorded also that God himself, speaking from heaven at his baptism, had said the same thing. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So Mark is telling us that Jesus is the son of God, come to save. The Pharisees and the Herodians are saying he is not the Messiah. He is not the son of God. We will not believe in him. Let me quote to you from John's Gospel. John's Gospel, John 5, 18, you can show that verse up here, Scott, reads this way. For this reason they tried all the more to kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So the Jews got it. They got the message that he is indeed claiming to be the Son of God. And Mark is presenting him in that way. And he was not breaking the Sabbath, only breaking their regulations, their additions to the Sabbath law. So Mark is calling us to find rest for our souls in Jesus, the Son of God. That's Mark's message. Trust in him. Believe in him. He is the son of God. He is the savior we all need. That's the call of the gospel. Now, when the Bible, when the gospel calls us to faith, it is not calling us to a blind leap into the dark. That's not what faith is. Sometimes faith is characterized that way, and that is not what we mean by faith at all. No, in the gospel... In the Gospels, faith is commitment based on the evidence. Mark is presenting the evidence. Even as Jesus is ministering, there's a, there's a former leper that's going everywhere and showing his, his, the fact that he's well. Even as, as Jesus ministers, there is this man who was formerly paralyzed and on a mat who's running around and leaping and walking and 
living a normal life. And even as Jesus ministers, there is this man with the withered hand who is now free to use his hands, healed. And there are many, many others. One of the things we're going to talk about next week is how many people are following Jesus from all around. So Mark is presenting evidence. This is why you should believe you should, you should commit yourself to Christ based on the evidence. John's gospel says the same thing. Remember how John concludes his gospel? Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, but these are recorded that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Faith is commitment to Christ based on the evidence and so the authors call us for, to faith. So we do not need religion. Religion, is, um, religion tells us what we need to do to earn God's favor. We don't need that. There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. We need Jesus who grants us God's forgiveness and mercy as a free gift because of what he has done for us on the cross in dying for our sin and being raised again by the power of God, for the glory of God. A, a man by the name of Dick Lucas imagines this conversation between a Christian and a Roman in the early years of the, of the church, in the first century. So imagine this conversation between a Roman and a Christian. And the Roman says, so you've got religion. Great, religion is a good thing. So where is your temple? Well, we don't have a temple. Jesus is our temple. Oh, well, where do your priests do their, their rituals? Oh, well, we don't have priests. Jesus is our priest. Well, where do you offer your sacrifices or how do you offer your sacrifices to please your God? I said, well, we don't have sacrifices. Jesus is our sacrifice. And the Roman says, so what kind of religion is this? And the answer is, it is no religion. It's Jesus. Jesus has done everything. It's good news what God has done to reconcile us to himself. He sent his son, and Jesus is everything. He is temple, he is sacrifice, he is priest, he is savior, he is the Lord of all. He is the Lord also of the Sabbath, bringing rest to our souls. We're now going to gather at the Lord's table.